If you're looking for help, support, and understanding in business, you need someone to champion your cause. The role of a security champion is to serve as the voice of the developer while satisfying the needs of the business from a security perspective. And that's challenging, given the divide that's long existed between security and development teams. Hi, I'm Joan Goodchild, Content Director with IDG, and in Episode 6 of our podcast series, A Hard Look at Software Security, we'll discuss what a security champion looks like. What are the characteristics of the role, and what effect does a security champion have on development and security? This podcast is brought to you by Veracode, which delivers the application security solutions and services today's software-driven world requires. I'm joined today by Chris Eng, Vice President of Research with Veracode. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, John. And we're also joined by Jason Curtis, who's Lead Security Software Engineer at an American bank holding company with about $200 billion in assets and 1,400 branches. Welcome, Jason. Thanks, John. Let's start by talking first about the evolution of development and security mindsets. Chris, what historically has this looked like in business, and what's changed? Well, historically, it's been kind of a a battle between development and security, to be honest. Over the years, software has become more and more critical to business. Every company, we like to say, has become a software company, whether it's a traditional company like a Microsoft or an Oracle. Now you have every every single company out there writing software to run its business. And so speed of innovation has become very, very important. And the idea of security as just this gate that is sitting there at the end of the of the process saying, like, no, you can't ship this because we have a problem with it, that doesn't fly anymore. That slows down the business. And so there has been more of a need for security and development to work together throughout the process. And that's what I would say has changed the most. Jason, your organization has a security champion program. Tell us about how you got started with this initiative. Sure, Joan. So when I came on to the institution, we started looking for leaders within the development teams. And the way we started that was we looked for people that were integrated in those dev teams, and and mostly those were people that we could contact to help get the word out on the security program that we were building, but also be an an advocate for each of those teams. Because as you know, security is separate from development, but this was a way to really have security embedded in those teams. So we we started with leaders in the, the different organizations that had development teams. So what did you learn along the way about how to identify the right person to fill the role of security champion? Yeah, so in the beginning, we we really, we had security champions deemed and mostly were architects within those teams. But as we continued to build up the program and, and get the static analysis testing more embedded and involved and the more developers were engaged, we started to see that some other roles were emerging within the development team. And it seemed to me, we kind of, it was kind of an agile approach. We kind of refactored on how we chose a security champion. And it just kind of happened as part of the process where some, like a lead developer within the team started taking on a, a bigger role as far as making sure their team was, making sure the code was secure, getting scanned, 
and then they were doing things like doing research on vulnerabilities. And I realized at that point, okay, this is the person that really needs to be the security champion as opposed to the how we set it in place in the beginning. Now, in the beginning, it was a good start to start with the lead architects that were involved in those dev teams, but we really have found that the more mature the process that we have, we found that the lead developers that are taking more of an action on that were best suited for it. A reminder that this podcast is brought to you by Veracode, which delivers the application security solutions and services today's software-driven world requires. Chris, you own this responsibility at Veracode. What's your advice for the top things organizations need to keep in mind when trying this kind of program? Yeah, there are a few things that we've learned have been really important as we've built this program over the past five or six years. It starts with culture and relationships, to be honest, just the building the security culture within the company, and that's through just training and just a general awareness of the types of security issues that can come up. Relationships I talk about a lot just between development security, specific people should have ongoing non-emergency relationships. And so by that I mean if I'm the security lead, I should have a relationship with various development leads that aren't solely comprised of you know, running around with an emergency in, in a situation where I need them to do something for me or when there's a vulnerability that's about to be introduced in the product or it's been discovered later, right? You want like a good, solid working relationship before something bad happens. We already talked about picking the right people. Jason talked about that quite a bit, so I won't elaborate too much on that other than to say, you know, don't give the responsibility to somebody who already has a lot of other responsibilities, right? So don't turn your scrum master into a security champion as well, right? Don't give it to some new person that's still trying to learn the entire stack and throw that additional responsibility on their plate as well. But picking the right people is important. Finding ways to leverage the existing tools and systems and processes that the developers are already using, right? Rather than introducing new tools and processes into their workflow, try to adapt to what they're doing, and that reduces um, kind of friction. And then find a way to measure progress. Like if you're if you're not measuring where you are at the beginning, and then kind of how you're progressing along the way, whether through some sort of maturity model or just uh, specific like quarterly goals or milestones, then you're not going to know how much better you've gotten, right? So you've got to find some way to to measure your progress as you go. Those are great recommendations. What would you say, in your opinion, are the benefits to having a security champion? It removes bottlenecks. Instead of every development team having to rely on a centralized security team, which in most organizations is very small, you create a way to scale that capability and you you push that down to every single development team. So you have, as a security person, you've got eyes and ears and a security conscience on every single one of those teams. Ideally, you get to a point where maybe you satisfy the 80-20 rule, right? Maybe that 80% of the security code reviews or security activities that would have historically been done by a security team are now being done on the team by a developer, by a security champion. It's a way of kind of making security everyone's job and it allows them to go faster. I mean, that's what the business likes, right? You're not slowing development down. And so those are things that over time can actually make security more of an advantage. It can actually speed things up once you kind of understand, you know, what those processes are going to work or how they're going to work in, in the environment and actually get a, you know, a repeatable process going. 
Jason, I'll ask you the same from your perspective. What signs or benefits or progress have you seen from the Security Champion Program in your organization? Sure, Joan. Yeah, I've seen some really great benefits in it. You know, it was, it was slow going in the in the beginning on getting development teams onboarded, but I think just to reiterate a point, it's all about the relationships. And usually the case of the security team working with developers, in a lot of cases, if the security person doesn't really know much about development, it can be difficult to gain trust from the development team. And my background has been in development, and that's one of the reasons I was sought out for the position. So I really, really focused on building those relationships and just kind of holding their hand as as they started the program to really gain trust and show them that we in security are are not going to be a bottleneck. We're trying to automate as much as we can to make make the pipeline go smooth and that there's no roadblocks in the way. And during that, as part of that, you know, as a security team, we would we would guide them and walk through, okay, how you look at vulnerabilities, how you research and figure out best practices, giving them different ways to do that. And then what I found was that the development team started with that information. They started actually doing research on their own and and started coming up with, I think this is probably a, a good best practice for security, and they would run it by the security team. And then we would we would actually have calls with the Veracode consultants where, in one case, a lead developer actually designed something on the fly to fix a vulnerability. And that's when it, I realized right then, I was like, all right, this guy on this particular dev team is a security champion. We need to deem him to be their security champion because... This person was one also that, that took 40 other applications that had onboarded into Veracode and had them go ahead and set up and have automated scans happening. So that really improved that process as far as getting things in the pipeline automated. Great. So in closing, I'd like to ask you both, based on your experience, what recommendations do you have for listeners today on getting started with a security champion in the organization? Chris, let's start with you. Sure. I would say it's important to lay the proper groundwork before jumping in, right? You're going to be enthusiastic about getting this started. You can obviously see what the benefits are going to be down the line, but there's kind of some fundamentals that have to be in place first, and it's kind of goes back to, as a security practitioner, you've got to be willing to get out of your comfort zone a little bit and not kind of be sitting up there on high and just kind of dictating, you know, to somebody else what they should be doing. You really have to get down in in the weeds and and treat this as a relationship of equals, right? Spend some time learning how your developers work and why, right? So that as you're designing processes and automation to integrate into whatever they're doing, you're not being so disruptive, right? A great example of this is when we were starting very early on and we were doing a lot of Agile Scrum here at Veracode, I sent my product security lead to Scrum Master training. Not because I wanted him to become a Scrum Master, but because I wanted him to understand the way in which our developers were working, to have the common terminology, to understand the motivations of working in that way. And so he could plug in a lot more smoothly into their process. And so there's a lot of different ways to kind of learn about developer motivation and processes and how they're working. And and that turns out to be 
really, really important before you go in and try and start changing things. Jason, what are your thoughts? Yeah, those, those are great points, Chris. I really like that. And, and that's kind of the approach I went. And as I mentioned before, building those relationships was really important to me as I did you know, much research on that. But also having a developer background, I knew I could at least speak their language and understand. So, and, and that's kind of the perspective that I took. So if we were working with a job application, I would install the IDE on my system. And, of course, I would also have the C-sharp and anything else because I wanted to understand first how I need to prepare the code, building it to upload, before I walk it through with developers. That way they, that also helps them gain, have trust in me, and that, that I understand how their code's built, all the way up to working with CICD pipelines. I had sandboxes that I would set up in TFS or wherever, whatever we were working with, and I would basically do a POC myself with the sample code to run through to make sure that what I was conveying to them was something that would work. And also, I would, like you said, I would get down the weeds with them and, and understand how their code's built. And, and then also, we would do whiteboard sessions to kind of draw out, okay, here's where some of the security checkpoints would be, and not, not gates, but we can automate some of these things. So if, if you pass a scan here, you can continue on to the next environment. But really drawing out and also pointing out why it's important to do them in the different stages. But really, I found and didn't even realize it, but as I worked with developers and just, just took the time to sit down and understand their whole process, I started getting really good feedback, and then we started getting more and more people coming to us. And the feedback, they I mean, I had developers really thanking me, like, man, we really appreciate that, you know, because they started understanding more on why security was important. And then, and I think that's key, too, because the developers started getting very interested in security topics. And one of the things I would do as part of Part of those building relationships is I would constantly are reading up on the latest threats and things like that. And as it relates to applications within our company, I would send out notifications or emails of people that were on board with Verico just to say, hey, here's here's some information on this. Or, or I would do presentations on different topics like the OWASP Top 10, the differences between the latest OWASP 2017 and the older one and what to look out for. And, you know, I found that the feedback I was getting was really good, and then, and that really started the word of mouth around the company, and that's when we started getting more and more people coming in. I think once you let them know that, okay, we're not going to be a bottleneck, which is what kind of most people think of security from development. I know out in the industry a lot of times, but it's really to up front say we're here to, you know, make things go smoothly and automate things and make things easy. Uh, I think that's really been a success here and continues to be. Excellent. Well, that is all the time we have for today. I want to thank Chris and Jason for joining us. You can check out Vericode.com for more information about the role of the security champion and the benefits to business. For IDG and Vericode, I'm Joan Goodchild. <laughs>